0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, February 16th, 2020, and it is show number 771. We've got a ton of great content for you this week. Steve has produced four more of the interviews we did at CES, and we even picked up an interview at Podcast Movement Evolutions in Los Angeles. And because I can't seem to stop creating content, I've got two stories to tell and a discussion with my buddy Dean that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Tom Steven, also known as Tom on the Internet, from TomOnTheInternet.com, joined me this week on Chit Chat Across the Pond Light to tell the tale of how he went from knowing zero about programming to landing a full-time job as a web developer in two years of self-training. Then he talks about the things that surprised him that he learned as a developer in that first year. In listening to Tom, you'll feel like he's not extraordinary and like maybe you could do this too. That is, if you're willing to put the time and the energy into teaching yourself all of this with a laptop and the internet. I found Tom delightful and entertaining and inspiring, and I hope you will too. You can find this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond light in your podcatcher of choice, or you can listen right over at podfeed.com. By the way, Tom has joined our Slack community over at podfeet.com slash Slack. So give him a shout if you have any questions or comments about this episode. Well, you guys know that Steve and I went to Chile to see a uh, total eclipse. So we like the uh, the stars and astronomy as much as just about anybody. So I'm here with Corey Lee of uh, Celestron. And you've got an interesting product here. Why don't you tell us about it?
1: Yes, we do. So what we have here is the world's first smartphone-driven auto-locating telescope. So oh, wait a minute, wait
0: a minute. This is actually f- gonna drive from the phone.
1: Well, yes, the phone will actually provide guidance for you. You point out everything up in the sky. So now you can simply move it and follow the arrow that is on the screen. And once once the arrow shortens enough, you hit the object and then you'll tell you that there, you see the eyepiece, take a look at it.
0: Oh, my gosh. So we have, we have an audio, audio audience as well. So I'm going to describe this. So on the iPhone, he's looking at the stars in a, uh, in an app, obviously, that is seeing it. Right. That's not actually the telescope is not seeing the stars right now because we're inside.
1: That's absolutely right. So what we have done here is basically because we're indoor, we created a little demo mode. Um, so what's happening is I'm going to move it away from the target for a second. And now there's bright orange
0: arrows saying, right. this is where you want to go, because that's what you said you wanted to be at Delta Piscium.
1: So ba- basically, um, there, for every night, based on the information from the phone, you know, the GPS information, time, location, so you, you it will give you a list of objects that are the best objects to look at under the sky for that night.
0: Okay, so, so we see the moon, Messier uh, 39, double cluster, NGC 869, one of my all-time favorites.
1: Great. If that's one of your all-time <laughs> favorites, let's see if if uh, if the demo mode will actually, if uh, all the time and everything it works. It says city
0: right. viewable.
1: So let's uh, I just click oh. on double cluster. And now it says locate right, on so, the phone. So with this the, the app itself will actually give you all the information of the object you're looking at. As well as providing a little bit of multimedia clip, a little uh, uh, um, audio clip to t- give you more information. Oh, about so the object.
0: it's like having an astronomer with you. It's telling you exactly. why this is cool.
1: Exactly, and astronomer that's actually built into the app of the, of the smartphone. Now, once you're done with the information, you want to actually want to take a look at what object that looks, what it looks like, right? So simply press this locate button.
0: I'll, I'll get it from there here. I go. got a better angle for you. There you go, all right? Oh, so now we see arrows on screen and a lot of the constellations and we can now start moving the telescope that is, manually.
1: That is correct. So the app itself through the use of all the sensors as well as the camera so the camera of the phone is actually pointing at the mirror, which is actually looking at the same sky that your telescope is pointing oh, at.
0: Oh, no way! Okay.
1: Because all the sensors itself, it helps, but then it's not accurate enough. For the type of accuracy you need for astronomy, you really need to do um, what we call plate solving, which is just pattern recognition, recognizing the star pattern up in the sky. And then once it does a bunch of calculations, and then you figure out what it's pointing at. So after he does that, now he's telling us you are that far away from the double cluster. So you can simply just follow the arrow. Oh, I think I went the wrong direction. Uh oh we're
0: going to try to go straight up. We might have
1: picked the wrong cluster. That's the problem with the demo mode, right? (laughs) Um, So I'm going to pick something else. Yeah. Let's uh... pick something we can actually get to. Right. So let's see if we... Messier 39. 39.
0: That seems like a fine choice. So All right, so now we can go to works. the side here. All right.
1: So, are you moving towards it or farther away? Uh, so, looks like it might be pretty far away. So, it may <laughs> seem like it's not doing much. I will... We're going in a circle okay. around... <laughs> this is a challenge, challenging video. Okay. We're going
0: in a circle around it. Looks okay. like it's
1: exactly 180 degrees. That's why it's giving us the little funky thing. Okay. So, I'm going to go fast toward that side. So, maybe the camera can meet right, me on we'll the other ca- end. We'll
0: catch up on the other side. All right. Right, we're spinning around. He's uh, getting the arrows to line up there. There it is. Okay. Okay. Now we can see it. Right. So the arrow. That's actually a better demo, by the way, because that's what you need to know how it actually works. Right.
1: Perfect. The arrows
0: are getting closer together or farther apart here.
1: The arrow is getting shorter. That means you are getting closer. Okay. Right. So as you get closer to it, you actually start zooming in. And showing you more of what you are eventually oh. going to be looking at.
0: Yeah, each as we're inching closer and closer, it's it's zooming in as we go. That's nifty.
1: Exactly. And notice that uh, the crosshair just turned yellow. So what that means is it had actually captured images of the sky and then figured out what it's pointing at. When it's red, it's not quite sure where it's at yet. It's just using all the sensor information. But once it's turned yellow, it knows where it's at. So what that means is you. You keep going, you keep going, and you turn green. So what does that mean, when it turns green? It turns green, that means the object is now in the, in the eyepiece. Oh, you put your eye wow. to the eyepiece, you see it. As simple as that. This as is as very,
0: that. very cool. So this is an attachment that's on a uh, the StarSense Explorer LT. Is that part of the,
1: you buy a telescope with this mount, or do you retrofit, or...? Um, right, so it's all built in as one system. So what we really want to do as we introduce this groundbreaking technology is to provide a very controlled product for everybody, right? So we want to have a very good experience for the end users. Retrofit would be really problematic, I would think. At least at the very beginning. So we wanted to make sure that everybody has a good experience at first. So we decided to have a uh, product that's completely integrated with the dock we have, con- we have tried everything, including all the calculations. we a different IP system modification. We know that it works. And here we are. We're selling the complete product, without the phone, of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very good. So this is called the StarSense Explorer LT, and it's from Celestron?
1: Exactly. It's, uh, it was made by Celestron. Celestron has been around for about 60 years. We're introducing two lines of new StarSense Explorers. Both got the same features with the built-in app a uh, dock for the phone. Um, one is called X, uh, StarSense Explore LT and we have another line which is bigger, better and it's got a little bit more control and more sturdy. It's called a StarSense that Explorer like
0: bigger... DX. Oh, sorry, StarSense no Explore DX. That's a, that's a larger mirror, right?
1: That's a larger mirror. It's also a larger mount with slow motion control, so they'll give you a even better experience using it.
0: Well, this is very cool. Uh, when are these going to be available?
1: These are actually available immediately for shipping.
0: Nice. And what's your price point on these two models here?
1: Now, here's the here's thing. We wanted to make sure that we want to make astronomy accessible for everybody. So we make it, we have all this technology built in, so now that you can help you find everything up in the sky. So easy, right? Everything's so easy. But then we also want to make sure that it's affordable. So that's one way to do it just use, leverage what you have already spent money on. Everybody's got a smartphone, so let's let the smartphone do the heavy lifting. So, with all that said, these are actually very affordable products. This DX goes for about $400, $399. And, and, and how big
0: and is that
2: telescope?
1: This is a 114 millimeter. Okay. Newtonian. And... In the four, and a half, four and a half inches. Okay. And this is a um, 80 LT. millimeter. The, the LT, LT is 80 millimeter? Okay. Right, 80 millimeter. Um, so we have a refractor, we have a reflector, two different favors.
0: Right, right. And how much is the Explorer XT, this or is, LT, sorry?
1: This is about $180.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. That's this right. is very cool and we can find these at Celestron.com, C-E-L-E-S-T-R-O-N.com, correct?
1: That is correct. It's right, on our, our website. You. Thank Thank you. you very
0: much for your time,
2: Corey. Thank you.
1: I
0: ran around everywhere telling people about this telescope after we heard from Corey. I thought it was just really, really fantastic. And the fact that it's not even expensive. I mean, for a telescope, this is pretty inexpensive. The other thing we learned after we finished talking to Corey is he wasn't just... Corey, who got sent to the trade show, that was the CEO of Celestron we were talking to, which that was really cool. Anyway, I thought that was one of the niftiest things we saw at CES. Well, I have to work this time for this interview. I appear to be on a rowing machine, and I'm talking to Becca Wesselman from Hydro. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Multitasking. I'm impressed. You bet. I think I'm supposed to be holding on to something, but... I don't know if I could do that too, we'll see. In the equation,
3: let's see. Here you go. All right, you might have to hold the mic. That's fine. I'm right. prepared. us about uh, what am I on here? So you're on Hydro, which is a it's the live outdoor reality uh, rower. It's a connected fitness device. So you are rowing. It's a state of the art erg. So it's much like um, the other ergs that you might be used to in a gym, but it's entirely different in that it's a totally interactive experience. So you are rowing. Um, these are our athletes. We have 13 professional rowers. Some are former Olympians. Some are gunning for the national team. Some are gunning for this Olympic cycle and they row live every single day on different bodies of water around the world. So right now they're in Miami uh, and they row live. You can row live with them in exact time, which is awesome because you're seeing what they see. So if there's a dolphin in the screen, you're getting that too. And then you're also getting this fantastic workout. Wait, so it's live? Oh yeah, absolutely. We're live. We've got uh, film crews down in Miami. Uh, Right now they're in Miami, but our home river is the Charles River in Boston. Then we travel around the world, uh, around the country to different rowing destinations uh, so that you can experience that. So it's really exciting. It's a, it's a totally different experience. What happens if I want to row like right now, and they're not—they're not actually in Miami uh, rowing right this minute. Then you've got an on-demand library with hundreds and hundreds of workouts that they've done uh, in different locations, so you can select where you want to go. So right here, you just head on over to the library, and you can customize what you're looking for. So you can filter by athlete. You can say I want a 20-minute hit workout, and go from there. So do people start having a favorite, uh, favorite, like I want... Oh, for sure. Danny Hansen is my favorite, so I want the 10-minute pop hit row? Absolutely. We get people who are super, um, they, it's everyone, it's very personal. People kind of decide what they want to do based on so like the type of workout they want. Exactly. But then they say, you know, I always work out with Sarah. I want to work out with Sarah. Sarah's my girl, and that's what they do. So it's been really cool to see what people get into and what they end up doing. And look at, man, Danny's arms are amazing. Oh, my God. Danny's amazing. So she's a Paralympian. She's absolutely incredible, and she has more energy. Than I think was possible to have in a human All being. Right, she is a firecracker. You want to try it out? Danny. Danny's the fight. best. Started. Right. So she here her. go. Yep.
0: Oh, there she is. Oh, am I supposed to slow down and go with her? So in you're her gonna face? follow her
3: hands. So follow. You're gonna. She's going forward and pull back. There you go. So I'm not just going as fast as I want. I'm
0: supposed to do what she's doing. Absolutely.
3: So the goal is to match her. And so that's part of the discipline of rowing, right? So you're not, and there's certainly people on the leaderboard who are just going to sprint, 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 and they're not going to pay attention to the workout. But she'll tell you as you go, all right, here's my speed right now. Here's my split. And that's what you're going to want to mirror while you work out. So it's a really great way, even if you've never rowed before, to get your feet wet. Like I had always seen the rower in the gym and I knew it was good for me, but I didn't know... I didn't want to get on. I was a little bit intimidated just because I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a little, you know, so it's... And then I was able to get on, and with their instruction, you're able There, see there's coconuts behind her in the water. You never know what's going to be on there. Um... You really just follow their motion and you feel like you're in the boat with them and it's a really incredible experience. I can feel the wind in my hair right now. Right, right. And next we just mean to spritz you and then you'll be it's like you're there. Yeah, right. You need a fan yeah. right there. Yeah,
4: yeah.
0: Alright, so I'm gonna stop rowing for a minute. So Okay, she's
3: gonna take that back. It's got a really nice, smooth motion. It's really pleasing. So a lot of uh, rowers use either a chain or they use like, it's a water and it's loud and it's clunky and it's a little bit jerkier. This is this patented uh, electromagnetic resistance. So it's really smooth and it feels really similar to being on the water. It's really, really nice. So uh, when is Hydro gonna be available? It's available now. So we launched in May. uh, And so you can purchase through hydro.com and we're also in Best Buy. So all you can. can month and month. can I ask the price point on this? You sure can. It's $21.99, and then there's a $38 a month membership. Okay, yeah,
0: that makes sense that you're watching live videos of yep. people and you're working constant. out there's with new them. workouts every single day. And another thing about having it be timed, like saying, okay, 5.30 a.m., I'm going to be rowing with her in Miami. I have to be there
3: at 5.30. I don't get to say I'll do it tomorrow because she's rowing right now. And that's right? such an enormous part of what we're doing. It's that accountability. And so people look at rowing and they think, oh, it's an individual sport, but it's really one of the most team-oriented Sports that's out there. Like, if you're in a boat with someone, the way that you communicate with them and the way that you move with them is everything. And so, the idea that you're part of this team, and we hear that a lot about the leaderboard. So, people, and you know, I feel it as well when I get on there, I know the names that are in my seven o'clock row. Like, I recognize them. Oh, and nice. Oh, I feel like, oh, I let my team down. And so, it's really great for that accountability piece. Like, you get on there and you know that you're going to. Be a part of something so it's awesome very
0: very cool yeah. so this is hydro.com
3: h-y-d-r-o-w.com
0: Yep, yeah, you got it great. thank you very much thank you so much great job <laughs> all right well i had a lot of fun with that one i'm not sure it's necessarily practical for everybody to have in their home but uh if you want to go watch that video i'm rowing the entire time so uh anyway we had fun with it I am so excited about this next thing I figured out. I am just so tickled pink. Let me first start off with a problem to be solved. Podcasts are awesome because audio can be listened to while you're doing something else, like washing the dishes, washing the car, cycling the hills of Ireland, or commuting to work. But there's a lot of situations where listening either isn't an option or isn't the consumer's preferred option. If you're hearing impaired, podcasts are definitely not an option. Low bandwidth internet plans can make even downloading podcasts problematic. Maybe you just like to read. Maybe you heard a podcast but like to have a transcription of what was said so you could scan it more easily than, say, scrubbing through a long audio conversation to go back to something you remembered somebody said. Well, I talked recently about how to have a podcast transcribed through the freemium service otter.ai, but that was a transcription after the finished product was produced, I got to thinking that it would be really cool if I could have an audio conversation on a service like, say, Skype, and I could have it transcribed real-time by Otter.ai while I was doing that recording with someone. I'm happy to say that I figured out how to do just that. The screenshots for this tutorial are, uh, in the show notes, of course, are done with Skype, but there's no reason they couldn't be followed to do the exact same thing with Discord or a Google Hangout if those still exist by the time you see or hear this. First, let's go through what you're going to need in order to accomplish this task. You're going to need a Mac. I'm not saying you can't do this on a PC or on Linux. I just don't know anything about those tools to tell you how to do it. So this is going to be a purely Mac-centric solution. You're going to need a microphone. If you're going to record a call, you do have to have a microphone. And it can be your internal mic, but the quality of your mic will influence the quality of the transcription and, of course, your audio recording for your podcast. You're going to need a voiceover IP application like Skype or Discord. You're going to need somebody to talk to. If you're not trying to transcribe a two-way conversation you can just go to otter.ai and push the button that says record you don't need to do any of this so this is specifically talking about two people or more on a voiceover IP call and trying to transcribe that real time now here's kind of the harder requirements you're going to need loopback and audio hijack both from Rogue amoeba both of these apps are, in my opinion, must haves for any podcaster using a Mac. I absolutely would not be able to do my shows without them. Audio Hijack by itself keeps me from having to use a mixer to create my shows. I know some people use both, but I've been able to avoid using a mixer just because I have Audio Hijack. So let's talk about what these two different tools do. Loopback from Rogue Amoeba is an application that allows you to create virtual audio devices by combining real physical audio devices and applications into one virtual device. Loopback will run you $99. Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba allows you to capture audio from your voice over IP application, such as Skype, and your real microphone into the virtual audio device created by Loopback. So you create the device from, with Loopback, but then you need to uh, capture the audio from your application and your mic and shove it into that virtual device. So Audio Hijack by itself is $59, so $99 and $59. However, if you buy both Loopback and Audio Hijack together, they sell them in a bundle for a total of $130. So, That's a pretty good deal. You get 30 bucks off. Finally, you're going to need an otter.ai free account. Now, we mentioned before that otter.ai is a web service that allows you to import audio files or record directly on the site and receive a transcription of the audio you'll remember that I did a full review of Otter.ai, which I recommend reading so you understand how this amazing AI-based transcription works. Otter.ai has a subscription service, which I told you about, which will give you the ability to create SRT caption files for videos, but to create just this text transcription I'm talking about, the service is free for 600 minutes per month. You should create a free Otter.ai account before trying to follow this tutorial. Okay, now we've got basically our parts list. This is everything we're going to need. Now we need to set up each application in order to route the audio. And let's start with Loopback. Using Loopback, create a simple pass-through virtual device and name it otter.ai. I left the output channels to stereo. I'm not 100% certain whether it has to be stereo or whether mono would work. But you basically just create a, a, a new virtual device. You, call it, you make it a pass-through device and you save it and call it otter.ai. You're absolutely done with Loopback. You've created your virtual device. Now, in Audio Hijack, you'll create the audio flow. If you're unfamiliar with Audio Hijack, the help files are very useful for getting started. But if you want a full video tutorial to be completely spoon fed, I created one over at Screencast Online. Now, remember, Screencast Online is a subscription service, but there is a free trial that lets you watch the entire back catalog, including my Audio Hijack tutorial. Alright, now you know everything about how to do Audio Hijack, we're going to create a new session in Audio Hijack. First, put in an audio source input block on the top line and change that to your microphone. So in the screenshots you'll see my microphone interface is called Shure MVI. So you got an audio, audio source input block and that's your microphone. Next you're going to pull in two channels blocks, one after the other. This is really crazy, you're going to set one to Duplicate Left and the second one to Kill Right. This odd combination will put the audio from your mic alone on the left channel, so you're going to be able to hear yourself on your left ear alone. Next, you're going to put an application source on the second line, and you're going to change it to your voiceover IP application, so Skype in this example. You're going to do the reverse of this channel blocks dance, this time you're going to Duplicate Right, Kill Left. This is gonna put your caller on the right channel alone. So your voice has been duplicated on the left and your uh, caller is gonna be duplicated on your right. Now put an output device in line between the two sources for your own headphones. So you've got these two lines and you're gonna have your headphone block and that's gonna allow you to be able to hear your speaker again in your right ear. Now in this screenshot it says speaker, that's what my headphones are called, it's very confusing. All right, next, you're going to add a second audio output device. So we've got your cha- your voice on one line, we've got the, the person you're talking to on the other line, and we are listening, but we need to select, we need to add another output device and co- choose the otter.ai virtual audio device you created. All right? So without Loopback, that step would not be possible because it's not a real device. It doesn't exist. And you can't use your headphones as an input to something else. It has to be an input kind of device. So this Otter.ai virtual audio device will be the input to the next application. Finally, don't forget to add a recorder output so you record your own conversation and set the quality to your own requirements. I choose Uncompressed AIFF for the highest quality for my podcast recordings. I included my Audio Hijack session as a download in this tutorial because that'll save you some time of building it yourself. If you, uh, once you have Audio Hijack, just download this file, unzip it, and simply double click the uh, session file to import it into Audio Hijack. Don't forget to modify the input mic and output speakers to your own hardware and make sure it's choosing the right right application. All right, that was the hard part. We're past all the hard parts. Next, you're going to open up System Preferences, and in the Sound Preferences, select the Input tab, and you're going to choose Otter.ai as the input device in Sound Preferences. Because of the session we created in Audio Hijack, the input device, Otter.ai, will have your voice on the left channel and your caller on the right channel. Now we're going to go into Skype. In your your Voice over IP application, like Skype, set the input to your microphone. Note that you don't want to use otter.ai as the input device. And uh, you can see I've got mine set to my Sure MVI interface in the the screenshot. Finally, well, maybe not finally. Yes, finally, in terms of setup, Uh, we need to work in Chrome. This process may work in other browsers, but for some reason, it seems that Chrome works better than other browsers for doing audio and video input to a web service. Microsoft Edge, which is based on Chromium, also works well. In the browser URL field in Chrome, enter, uh, well, I've got a thing in the show notes, I'm not going to read it out to you, but you're basically going to go into Chrome settings and find the microphone settings and ensure that the microphone is set to default otter.ai virtual. Now, I don't know what happened if you would happen if you didn't check this, but I think it's a good idea to check it. The reason I'm saying to use Chrome or Edge is because this is an option. You can change what the input is. I couldn't get it to work in Safari. There may be a workaround, but I couldn't get it to work. All right, we've got all our pieces together. Start your Skype call. Start the audio hijack session that you created. Then on the otter.ai website, you simply click the record button. If everything is working properly, you'll see the little waveform wiggling when you or your caller speak into your microphones. One of the amazing features of Otter.ai is that it will separate the different voices into different separate sections. After you call, you can name a couple of the voice identifications, and the service will rename all of them in the entire recording based on the voice it heard. So I can say, okay, this is Allison's voice. This is Bart's voice. This is Allison's voice. This is Bart's voice. After doing a couple, it goes, okay, I got it. I know whose voice is whose, and it'll put the words on it. So uh, in the show notes, I called the uh, nice Skype testing lady, and you can see in the show notes of the screenshot that it worked. You can see the transcription says, hello, welcome to Skype call testing service. After the beep, please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. That's exactly what she said. I think otter.ai is a phenomenal tool for so many uses. The transcription isn't perfect, but for AI-driven transcription, it's pretty darn good. If perfect transcription is your expectation, you can use the otter.ai interface to edit while you listen to gain that perfection for yourself. In any case, I hope that this tutorial helps you to create even more valuable and accessible content for your listeners. Our hero of the week is good friend of the show, Troy Shimkus. Troy is our hero because he is the latest Nocilla Castaway to become a patron. He simply went to podfeed.com slash Patreon and he selected a dollar amount to pledge to help the show each week and he was done. I know these are hard earned dollars, but here's how Troy explained his decision to pledge that money. He took stock of the services he gets for free, like entertainment and news. He decided that he should be contributing more to those that he finds great value in. He said he gave me and Ken Ray the Patreon deal and he finally got a digital subscription to his local paper because they provide value as well. Thank you, Troy, for becoming our hero of the week. A couple of years ago, I went to the Four Moms booth and I saw what's called the Mama Roo and I got very excited about it. We did an interview and spoke to people here. And then, as some of you know, my daughter is pregnant and we actually got her one of these for our impending grandchild. But uh, I'm with Amy Stanton and it looks like they have some other products and maybe you can bring us up to speed on the Mama Roo first and move on.
5: Yeah, we're so excited you have the Mamoru and some grandchildren on the way, it's very exciting. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so this is our Mamoru, it's been around 10 years if you can believe it. Oh wow, okay. Um, so it moves like you do, so it moves up and down and side to side and it sways and moves and we've been Oh, this
0: to... is an audio podcast too, so we need to describe, what it. this is gotcha. a, a, like a baby rocker
5: thingy, right? Yes, it is an infant seat and swing, so it's to entertain and soothe your baby. There are five unique motions: everything from car ride to kangaroo to tree swing, rockabye, and wave. Five different motions, and so. This has comforted and soothed over a million babies in ten years. And so a car ride, that's genius. Right. Yes, absolutely. Can I push that button? Yeah, right here. Well, you can, it's already on car ride, so we it can is. go a little faster if you want. All right, yeah, we're zooming down the highway now. <laughs> so we've comforted and soothed over a million babies over ten years, and this motion, this unique motions, were so great in comforting and soothing babies that we actually took those motions and put them in a bassinet. Oh wow! So this is our newest product. It's coming out next month. In February it's called the Mamaru Sleep bassinet. And so you have the same five motions of the Mamaru infant seat. So this one is touchscreen which is nice. so you can push on car ride here and it'll change and if you keep pushing on it you can go a little faster.
0: Oh wow a little feel That's slower. for the baby who's really annoyed. We need to make, get yeah, their attention. Exactly.
5: Right? We also added a vibration mode to this one. So if you click on this, there's a slight vibration in there that babies tend to like. Oh yeah. So it's very,
0: what I like is that the lines are really clean. Yes. It's just a bassinet. and It's on a white platform here with the touch screen down below. It's not a lot of folder right. all around it, exactly. right? Exactly.
5: It's very sleek and sophisticated. It's going to look beautiful in your home. Um, and the nice thing too, this is a safe sleep space. So according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, you want to make sure that your baby is always sleeping on a flat, firm surface, which the bassinet is. So you still get those great unique motions of the momaroo, but now they can safely sleep in the bassinet. I noticed there's music. White noise, actually. Oh, white noise. Okay. So a lot of babies,
0: you want to click on it here? Oh, yeah. Are we going to be able to hear it?
5: Let's turn it up
0: here. Where would I put my bike down inside here? I suppose I'm gonna put my bike inside here. Which is how we switch it. The,
5: uh, rain. That's uh, a rain, a wave, and then we have a shushing noise. This one's really loud, Ready? That right? So it replicates the most the sounds that babies hear when they're in the womb, kind of that light noise that's very soothing to them. That's
0: really cool. That's fascinating. I'm not sure they heard you because I kept the mic in there. You just said it
5: replicates what? Yeah, sure. So when the baby is in the womb, they they hear that white noise and it's very soothing to them. So this replicates that sound.
0: Wow, that is very cool. So uh, you said next month going in the market. How much are we talking about? Three hundred and twenty-nine dollars. Oh my gosh! I I'm sorry. I expected a much bigger number, and I was going to pretend to think it was reasonable, but that is not bad at all. I mean, people pay that for a bassinet that doesn't do any of this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely,
5: yeah. We wanted to make sure it was affordable for everyone, and you know, it's used for newborns until twenty-five pounds, or until your baby can push up on their hands and knees. So, and um, you'll get because they that
0: could a co- bit. sort of jump out of that pretty easily otherwise. Well, once
5: they're up on their hands and knees, you don't want them. When Time when to move it's on. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. Right. So I can't get in there, I guess. Okay. Okay.
5: Oh, I wish. I wish. Yeah, I know.
0: Why don't we have those? That's the real question. Maybe
5: that's the next next product development yeah, you know, right there. One, one for mom. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> well, very good. So, where would people go to find out more about the
5: uh, Four Moms? Uh, what is this model called? Momaroo Sleep Bassinet. Okay. And you can find out more at fourmoms.com. It will that's be. That's the number four M O M S. O M S. M O M S.com. Yep. Very good. Thank you yeah, very much. Thank you so much.
0: Now, I'm not entirely sure that this next subject belongs in the NoSilicast, but Bart was quite insistent that I write it up, so you get to listen to it. In Programming by Stealth, we've been working on a little web app that will do currency conversions. Bart gives us a lot of latitude on how we solve the homework challenges, only having an end condition in the requirements. In the first iteration of our web app, the user was to choose a base currency and then choose a selection of countries to show the conversion. At this point, the conversion was simply from one unit of the base country to all of the other country's currencies. So, for example, one New Zealand dollar equals how many Mexican pesos and Danish crone? By the way, it's 12.08 and 4.44 respectively at the moment that I wrote up the show notes. Anyway, we were to display the answer to the user using what are called bootstrap cards. They're nice little contained areas with the desired information styled nicely without too much work by the developer. Once we had that task conquered, he suggested we take it up a notch and allow the user to ask for a specific number of the base unit currency to be converted, as in our previous example, to show that 5 New Zealand dollars is 2220 Danish krone and 60.38 Mexican pesos. During his review of the solution to the challenge, we were talking about how we rounded the currency conversions to the nearest two decimals. I was thinking out loud during the show, and I pondered whether all currencies actually use two decimals. Bart responded that he presumed they all did. L. Butler on Twitter wrote to us after the episode aired, noting two things. First of all, he found a mistake in Bart's math on his solution, and second of all, he noted that some currencies have no decimal places at all. In fact, the two currencies that showed an error in math on BART's solution were both without decimals, Korean won and Japanese yen. In both cases, their conversion rate is very high as a ratio to U.S. dollars, 1180 to 1 and 110 to 1, respectively. BART's method of rounding only showed the error when converting these uh, these high-ratio currencies. Bart wrote up how he figured out the problem and how he solved it in a, blo- in a blog post he did over at Bartbouchats.ie. Al Butler's comment about the decimals got me to thinking about whether there's a way I could know how many decimals each currency used and if I could programmatically change my code to take it into account. And that's when Bart said I owed it to the community to write it up when I figured it out and that is why we're here now. As I said, Bart gives us a lot of flexibility in how we solve the problem. He gave us a link to a website that allowed you to fetch data from it for the current exchange rates for 33 countries. That website, that API, is called api.exchangerate.io. So that's our source data for the real-time exchange rate. But on that site, we could only pull the rate and currency code, such as like USD or ISK, but it did not contain the human-readable currency names such as US dollar and Iceland krona, in my example. While some people solving the problem simply looked them up and added them manually to their lookup dictionary for the task, I did something slightly more clever, in my humble opinion. I found the ISO 4217 database where all of the currency names and currency codes codes are defined. I say I found it on my own, which is technically true, But later, when I looked back at Bart's show notes, I discovered he actually did tell us about its existence. I just didn't pay attention. I independently found it. Okay, so now I've got the currency codes and the currency rates in one file, and I've got the currency codes and currency names in another file. It took me a while, but I figured out how to manipulate them until I had all three pieces of information in one lookup table. So I had currency name, currency code, and currency rate. That was a big achievement. That took me a couple of weeks. Now that I had all three in one place, I could look them up and plop them into my cards. Allow me to display 1 in USD, converts to 1, parentheses KRW, and then put in 1180.14. While the math is correct, we don't really want it to say 1180.14, we want it to say 1180, thanks to our little friend L. Butler. I opened the file I downloaded from the ISO 4217 site to see what other fields might be available to me. I was delighted to find a field that for most currencies said, quote, minor unit, unquote, colon, two. But for Korean won and Japanese yen, it said minor unit was zero. I knew I was onto to something. I then found that Chile's secondary currency, Unidad de Fomento, said minor unit four. I did a search of the internets and I confirmed that this currency does indeed show four decimal places. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the countries that have a different number of decimals because ISO 4217 has 279 currencies, but I did find some with three decimals, which I also found interesting. Unfortunately, of the 33 countries in our lookup table for today's currency rates, only yuan and yen have other than two decimals. I was really having, hoping to have more to show off my code if I succeeded. Alright, since I'd already cracked the code on how to mash the ISO 4217 currency names into the file from ExchangeRate.io with the currency codes and rates, it was a small matter to add a few lines of code to add in the minor unit uh, into it and then access and display it. But I got garbage out! Euro and other currencies incorrectly displayed with no decimals, and still others correctly showed too. Well, I dug into my ISO 4217 list and uh, and I found that many, many currencies showed a minor unit of null. The more I looked at this file, the more I realized it had lots of weird data in it. And my source of xe.com for that file was suspicious. I'm not sure how I got to that source, but I later on went to the official ISO.org site, iso.org slash iso4217currencycodes.html. You'd want to know that, David. Anyway, I found the official data file, which I could display as an XML file or download as XLS. Looking back, I really should have started with the XLS, but I figured that since XML is just a text file with some delimiters, it would be easy to adapt the syntax to a JSON file. That jargon means that the XML file put terms inside angle brackets, like greater than, less than symbols, instead of quotes like I needed it in JSON. I needed it to be uh, currency code in quotes. I figured a simple search and replace would be easy. I then realized that the terminology was somewhat different as well. In the XML file, it said CTRYNM for country name, but in my JSON format, it needed to be simply name. This would have been a lot easier in Excel than in a text editor. Oh well, live and learn, use Excel for everything. Once I had the data formatted correctly, my MASH sources together code worked flawlessly. The currency lookups returned the correct answer for decimals, and I am now proudly displaying 1 and Yen with no decimals. Even better, if rate.io ever adds a 24th country like Tunisian dinars, my tables will automatically display them correctly with three decimals. If you'd like to play with my currency conversion web app, I put a link in the show notes. I have a warning for you, though. It's a work in progress, so some parts of it may not be working right when you play with it. For example, as of this moment, there's a tab called Grid that has only static data in it right now, and the toggles on that tab are adding a few things to the first tabs. But anyway, play with it if you like. Well, you guys know I love a good Thunderbolt 3 dock. I believe I've tested five of them so far. And I challenged uh, Bernie Thompson from Pluggable, can he make me excited about yet another dock? And he says that he can.
4: Uh, absolutely. Because it's not its not a fully refined technology yet, or at least it hasn't been until this. Uh, so, you know, we've been working on Thunderbolt 3 since the beginning. And this is now our second major generation of Thunderbolt 3 dock. And there's been a couple outstanding problems in the industry, and maybe you've run into some of them. You know, number one is USB-C versus Thunderbolt three confusion. What? People are confused. Why? The port looks the same, but then you know, and the naming conventions are
0: so annoying.
4: Yes, they are. Yep. I did a blog
0: post called uh, "Just because you plug it in doesn't mean it'll work."
4: Exactly. No, and and it's uh, you know it's a huge problem with USB-C, and it's kind of baked into the design. It's been solved here actually by Intel with the new Titan Ridge chipset. Which supports USB C and Thunderbolt 3, either one from a device. And this dock is one of the first wave of Thunderbolt 3 docks that uses Titan Ridge and so supports USB C also with the same so docks. You can, you can move cable. around
0: in to the, the different ports and they all do both?
4: Yes, yeah, the, the, the host, the, the port back to the host and all the down, the functionality on all the downstream ports. Okay. The other major uh, industry confusion has been HDMI versus DisplayPort. <laughs> So, unfortunately, you know neither. Do tech- they hate us, the people who invent this? Stuff? <laughs> you know, a lot of times you get these like Sony versus Betamax type things, yeah. and one technology wins out. Well, it's been a lot of years now, and HDMI DisplayPort is splitting the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of wish one of them would just win, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So this stock actually supports both equally. So it it has a total of two displays out. But it actually has four graphics outputs: an HDMI and a DisplayPort option for each of the two ports.
0: Oh, okay. So you could do one of each, two, 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 two of the same, two not the same. Okay. Exactly.
4: Right. Any combination. So no matter whether you know what type of monitor you have, HDMI or DisplayPort, this dock supports it, which eliminates you know, that second major frustration. The third major frustration has been, you know, USB power delivery is very flexible. But okay, so something is 60 watt, 85 watt, 94 watt. Does this dock really, you know, charge my laptop and does it charge at the full rate? So we're just supporting the maximum USB-C power delivery rate. So for
0: That's example, what I'm talking about. My my uh, 16-inch MacBook Pro is a beast and I need it powered.
4: Exactly. That one Apple jumped up to 94 watts with that one this dock charges that MacBook at 94 watts at its full rate.
0: Wow! Now that's what I'm looking for. Can we, uh, I think you can back up now or, yep. here a little bit. We can uh, take a look at the dock. The first thing I got to say about this dock to the audio listeners is it has one of my favorite features: is it's standing up. Yes. A lot of the docks are horizontal and they
4: take up like a quarter of your desk space. Exactly. There's yeah. We want to get cables that. up off the desk, and that's what this dock does. So, uh, so on the front, you know, we've got uh, you know SD card, you know, for and two USB ports, and we've got audio. So there's a whole. You know. are, are
0: we going to talk about USB USB confer, uh, confusion as well?
4: Right. Yeah. yeah well, luckily, those? so those are USB 3 ports, and then around the back. We've got even more USB 3 ports. We've so, got
0: five on the back. Holy cow.
4: So we we've you know, we wanted to eliminate every source of frustration and a lot of the docks end up only having a single hub controller, so they only support maybe one or two ports after you use up some of them for some of the other devices. So we've put in a whole tree of hub controllers to get this many uh, free ports. And then here you see the two graphics options. So we've used the HDMI ports on each one but we could have had two DisplayPort monitors that would have worked just as well. And network, and that single cable connection back to the MacBook that is powering all of this stuff and charging the MacBook itself.
0: Nice, now I, uh, the one thing I'm not seeing uh, is any USB-C ports.
4: No USB-C ports, and the reason why is because those USB-C ports would be confusing. Yeah. Uh, for example, it's if you
0: eliminated you, it by taking them out, not putting them the, into the
4: downstream ports. So, okay. so it's USB C back to your host. But then it's you know it's all the ports. Huh. You know, other than the, you know if you if you want to use USB C, you have the ports in your laptop. On the USB-A dock itself
0: is all is the ones on the, on the dock. Yeah, downstream.
4: Okay. Uh, because That's for example, if a if a dock today has a USB C port, and for example, you take one of those multifunction dongles and plug it into it. Well, guess what? The USB port on the multifunction dongle will work, but the the display port won't. Oh, There's so many options within the USB uh, C-spec that it's very confusing for consumers. I do spend a
0: lot of time studying the diagrams on the back of the docs that I test, and I'm usually sure I can identify at least two-thirds of what's on the back when I'm done. Yep,
4: yep, yep.
0: Wow, okay, well this is this is pretty interesting. So is this, uh, when is this stock going to be available?
4: So this stock is going to be available here in the first half of 2020, and it's going to be just under $300. Oh,
0: come on, when when you described this, I was like, okay, so this is going to be a $400 dock. No. You hit the $300 price the $300 point $300 where everybody else point. is, but it's very cool. It looks like a book. It's rounded on the front, and it's square on the back. It's really nice looking. Well, that's fantastic. So, uh, is there what's the name of this?
4: Uh, so this is the pluggable TBT3UDZ. So that's the SKU. So it's the plug. It's the new th- pluggable Thunderbolt 3 dock.
0: Very good. And Plugable only has one G, P-L-U-G-A-B-L-E. Right.
4: You know, the English word was taken with two Gs, so so we're, we're just owning it with one G. And we've been around for 10 years. We have over 120 different USB products, so we're, we're pretty well known.
0: And would that be at pluggable.com?
4: It is. Very yeah. good.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. So I think that the docking station that he was talking about is really best for people who maybe don't want to move forwards in technology. And it took me a long time to actually figure out what he was really saying is, is they've got a dock that'll take a Thunderbolt cable from your Mac into what looks like a USB, is a USB type C connector. And from then on, don't worry your pretty little head about all this newfangled USB uh, USB type C stuff. So, like, I've got a a backup drive that is uh, a USB-C connector. I wouldn't be able to plug into that. It has tons of USB-A ports. So if you want to stay stuck in the past on USB-A, you go, girl, and you go get this. This is the dock for you. But if you've just bought a new Mac that has all these nice USB-C ports, why would you go backwards? But anyway, maybe that's just me. I do most of the podcast mixing for the Nocellacast and for Chit Chat Across the Pond using a tool called Hindenburg, and I have tracked down uh, math, uh, sorry, Chuck Wang at uh, the podcast movement in order to talk to him about Hindenburg. And the main reason I wanted to talk to you guys is so that other people that listen to the show could learn how the tool I love so much works for me. So uh, welcome to the show here.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, so describe to people what is a digital audio workstation? That's
2: probably the best place to start. Sure, it's everything that you need to create an audio story. It's just all the effects, recording, being able to edit, and being able to publish. And multi track. And multi track.
0: Because there are editors that I really like, like Fission, but it's not multi track, so I can't use that. So I need something that has multiple tracks.
2: Sure, and then that's what Hindenburg provides, Journalist Pro.
0: All right, so uh, yeah, describe, what, are the, what is the difference? You've got a couple of different products there.
2: We have Journalist and Journalist Pro, and what the big features are, are noise reduction in Journalist Pro, and we've got Voice Profiler, and being able to publish to multiple destinations quickly and easily.
0: Oh, okay. So I think I have the junior version. I have just a journalist, and it's been working great for me. So uh, describe to people how the software
2: works. Honestly, it's the simplest, if, this is the simplest way to, to record, edit, and publish podcast, and all you really need to do is plug in a microphone, hit record button, and start playing around with it. You can actually get something yeah, going. Nope, nope. you got to arm the track first. Right. You do have to arm the track, but it's as simple as hitting record after you arm it, and then just going to town.
0: I'm just saying that because 100% of the time I start recording, I press that record button and it goes, no, you forgot to arm a track first. That's what funny. does
2: arm a track even mean? Arming a track, is it means, for example, you would just hit what? record to arm the track so it's ready. You select your track, you arm it so it's ready. And so you're pressing a little bu- red button on the track. red button and then you hit the red button below. But why do I have to arm a track first? Is that so it knows on
0: which track I want to record? Yeah.
2: You're, just, you're, just, you're just prepping the, the this workspace to get ready to record. Okay. Yeah.
0: So one of the things that is, was invisible to me when I first started using uh, Hindenburg was uh, I would just drag my audio in from outside of, of Hindenburg and drag it in and then I would start working with it sure and it wasn't until I saw one of your um, had a, you guys had a, a web um, webinar thing uh-huh. and I found out that I could actually save my jingles in the sidebar right I didn't even know the sidebar was there until I watched that
2: right. and that's like hugely powerful it, it is it is powerful if you want a storyboard because you can organize all your clips in the in our clipboard. And it's a matter of literally dragging and dropping things that you find important to you to create that narrative on the right pane.
0: Oh yeah, it, I mean it was magical once I knew about it. But it, the right pane is full is uh, is not displayed by default, so I didn't know it existed. And and once you know that that's there, that's really really powerful. I notice you have other things in there. You have a uh, you have a clipboard showing. So I've been talking about the favorites which is where I keep my jingles, but what is the clipboard
2: for? Actually, the clipboard is the storyboarding por- portion of it. So if you find a nice segment within a, a conversation that you've recorded that you want to uh, save as far as your narrative goes, you can actually script in that clipboard area. So for example, if I'm talking to Allison, Allison, you've got a great segment that I want to put to the side for later. And then I have Steve, Steve has another conversation and we put his, uh, his tracks in there as well. And we kind of create a story because sometimes the interview isn't necessarily what is what unfolds. So oh, oh, the, interesting. The, get through and edit that narrative. Ah, that's not what
0: podcasters do. Podcasters just record a bunch of stuff and just shove it on out there. Right,
2: <laughs> right. And you can do that too. And that's also really powerful because, like you know, with the favorites, you create your intros, your outros, you save what you need. And you drag it over to the workspace. When you're ready to use it, it's it's there. Okay, I can see how that could work. Now, here's another question I've always had. When
0: I when we look at the Hindenburg uh, interface by default, it says voice track, interview, music track five. You can name those. You can name those. Why does that matter?
2: It's it, visual organization.
0: So it doesn't actually change anything to have a name. No. I notice every time I open it up, it has in there the names that I did the last time. And I sit there worrying about going, okay, well, is this an interview or you know, because it's something that I did
2: before. Right, it's, it's all about your preferences, honestly. It's You could have this be Allison, it could be Steve, it could be Chuck down below, and your music. Okay, it, and it
0: doesn't matter. It, it doesn't it, matter. It's just to give yourself a cue so you remember that's Allison's track. Exactly. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. One of the things I do like about Hindenburg too is that when I bring an audio track in, it sort of levels it, right? Right, it,
2: again, like Hindenburg, what's really powerful about Hindenburg is we take a lot of the steps out of the process, so you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about industry standard levels Like you said, you just drag, trap, drag a a clip over, and then we'll automatically set the levels to uh, industry standard for you. It actually, uh, well, Hindenburg Pro does the industry standard thing, I think, right? Uh, We do actually minus 16 if you bring it in on the on journalist as well.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know that because I actually run through a whole leveling process afterwards, so I level it twice apparently.
2: You don't need to that's interesting.
0: I did not know that. I should take a look at the waveform before and after. So as far as uh, publishing, what happens in that step there?
2: Publishing's really easy. So if you have multiple hosts, like you have Libsyn, Spreaker, or whatnot, all you have to do is create a profile for each, and afterwards you can do one-click publishing. It's easier to see online. Uh, It's a three-minute tutorial. Sure, sure. Okay, that's pretty cool.
0: One of the things that I didn't kind of catch on at first is this is a cross-platform app, correct?
2: Right. Windows, Mac, yeah.
0: I hear people still use Windows. I don't know any of them. But uh, (laughs) uh, but just to be fair, one of the things that is an interesting thing about this is because it is cross-platform, there's some things that don't work exactly like a traditional Mac app. And we can, you and I can get into that afterwards, but there's a few things that are just like, oh, that's because this is a cross-platform app, I noticed some differences in the interface. Uh,
2: You have to point out specific ones, yeah, but I'm sure there's gonna be some differences in terms of, especially like shortcuts. On oh keyboard. yeah,
0: yeah, sure, right. sure. Okay, well, this is very cool. If people wanted to look into Hindenburg, well, we should talk about the pricing. I happen to have gotten on a very weird sale, but uh, a one-time only in the history of time sale. But right. in general, how much is uh, Hindenburg? In, in
2: general, it's ninety-five dollars for journalist, and then three hundred seventy-five for journalist pro.
0: Okay, so that's that's not a, a cheap app. But for the capabilities that you're getting here, I think it's a really powerful app.
2: Honestly, it's the time savings, it's the the lack of frustration, and it's having really something that's intuitive for you to work with that you can use day in, day out and not have to go anywhere else. It's everything that you need and nothing that you don't. Okay,
0: okay, great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time You're with welcome. us, Chuck. You're very welcome. All right, wait, you got to say hi to-, to Hi, to. Uh, uh. Hi, Martin. <laughs> Martin is at home in Copenhagen. <laughs> Didn't get to come and he's
2: really mad, so I had to go talk to Chuck. Right, Martin, the, the hope all's well. Chris, Nick, everyone else.
0: Well, that was a lot of fun talking to Chuck. And uh, afterwards, I got Chuck to teach me how to do something on Hindenburg that's been driving me crazy. I've done it the hard way all along and I'm super excited. It is not interesting at all to you guys, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. The way the music uh, is ducked under my voice at the end of the show and then it comes up, I've been doing that manually every single week because all of my attempts to save a pre-duct version of that didn't work and he showed me how to do it. So this week will be the debut of my new ducked music. And uh, like I said, I didn't think you cared. This next interview you're going to hear is with my buddy Dean, and I wanted to tell you that I used otter.ai to transcribe this conversation you're about to hear, and I want you to tell me what you think of this. I made it a separate blog post, and I want to tell you, I have made no effort to edit this transcript. It's going to have mistakes in it. That's just the way it's going to be if I do this. Otter.ai does recognize when different people are talking. And from there, you can tell it which voice is on. Uh, in a couple, just a couple examples, you can tell it which one is which. And that fills in the rest of the names like I was talking about earlier. And you can tell in this transcript if Dean and I talked over each other. So the name of who is talking might be a little mixed up. But this is an experiment that doesn't cost me a dime. And I'd like to have feedback on whether you like it. If you're listening to this, you're probably not going to go read it anyway. But uh, I did want to tell you that that transcript is available. And, you know, it's going to take me maybe 15 minutes to, to do this each time I have audio that has no script. I don't think I'm going to make time to ever edit these transcripts. So judge the value on what you see in this particular conversation and go make posts over on our comments over on that post, or you can put it in our Slack, or you can put it on Facebook, wherever you like to put it. But after all that, let's just hear this great story from Dean. My buddy Dean is here uh, visiting from out of town and uh, he has a really cool tech story. Well, it starts with kind of a, I don't know, a man failure but it uh, but it, eventually, it eventually works into a great use of tech. How
6: are you doing tonight, Dean? I'm doing wonderful.
0: Thanks for dinner, by the way.
6: Oh, you're welcome for dinner. Well, you did pay the $4 for parking. That's right. So it's, so like, we're we, even. it's like we split it. <laughs> we're even.
0: So uh, you're, you flew in from out of town to L.A. What happened?
6: Well, well, yeah. Well, the first thing you have to know is that I fly for a living. I do this all the time. This isn't like my first time getting on an airplane. So I land in LAX, and I have a slightly different uh, a slightly different morning in that I don't have to get to a client. I'm going to visit my sister.
0: and, um, and Actually, the plane was half empty, which I think that probably threw you off.
6: It, well, it did. It was a very empty plane. I get off the plane. I get through the airport rather quickly, and then I'm in the LAX hell of going to get the rental car. So you sit on this tram forever, this bus, and you get dropped off, and I sit in the rental car, and I reach over to pick up my phone and realize at that moment— My phone is in the seat back, and it's on its way to El Paso, Texas. Oh, no. Now, the problem is my phone is my office. I work from home, and everything is in my phone. So I don't know my sister's phone number. I don't know my sister's address. And that's where you're going for lunch right now. Well, I'm going to her house, and I've been there once before because she moved recently, but I don't really remember where it's at. I know it's in Redondo, but that's about the end of it. And I don't have a phone, so I can't call my wife to ask her all that pertinent detail because I don't have a phone. So I did remember that I had an iPad, but my iPad was a Wi-Fi-only iPad. So the iPad is kind of stupid, but lo and behold, it had my contacts in there, which was helpful. So at
0: least now you could find her address. Yes. But I had you can't her. call
6: her. I had her address. I can't call her. And does anybody even have a paper map anymore? So... I have an address that's a really cute thing, but with nothing with GPS, you're in trouble. So I thought about it for a while, and I remembered, wait, I have an Apple Watch, and my Apple Watch has a cellular plan. Oh, okay. And I use my Apple Watch all the time when I'm out hiking to receive calls when I don't have my phone with me. So I thought, okay, there's got to be a way, stay calm, there has to be a way to be able to figure this out. So what I ended up doing... Was first because my sister is, of course, in my favorites. I was able to go out to the to the iPhone app that's on the watch,
0: so the phone app, like the little green phone, the green
6: little phone app okay. that's on the watch. Select it, and first I went to contacts, but I have a bazillion contacts, and would have taken my finger would have fallen off doing the scrolling to get through all the Her name starts with Q. You didn't have a chance. <laughs> yeah, and there was no way. So, but she's in my favorites, so I was able to get to favorites. And I called her, and lo and behold, I get through to her phone because she's in the shower getting ready because her brother's coming to take her out to lunch. So I leave her a message, which she never gets because I found out the phone that she was using was out of juice. So, so anyway... Your, your tech is, is rocking. Yeah, it is. So, so now I, I have to figure out, okay, how am I going to get to her house? I have this address, but there's a map function on the watch. And if you hit the search button, once you open the maps, one of the choices is dictation. Oh, okay. So I was able to dictate her address into the watch. And because I had my AirPods and I wasn't dumb enough to leave those on a plane, I threw those in my head and it gave me turn-by-turn directions to her house, where I showed up knocking on the door and she said, I thought you were going to call first. I'm not ready. (laughs) So that's how the day started out. Needless to say, I am now the proud owner. Of an iPhone 11 Plus, I think. Is what uh, it 11 Pro. 11 Pro with the three cameras, and it's gorgeous, and f- with all the little accessories and all. 1,400 dollars later, I've been able to go out and fill in my uh, lost and found thing for Southwest, hoping to get the old phone back.
0: Well, that's uh, so. That was an iPhone 10, correct?
6: Yes, it, or 10, it was. Or 10s. 10. Okay. It was a 10.
0: So we were able to go into find my and find your phone. I think it it had moved on to Tennessee by the in last Nashville time we filled this
6: afternoon. Okay, we should yeah. check and see where it's vacationing next. Yeah, we should we should probably do that. My phone is having a wonderful trip right now because I don't think they're cleaning out those seat packets like you'd think. You know the seat bags. So,
0: so I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world that you ended up having to get a new phone.
6: I was two two installments away from paying off the ten. Okay, and you
0: so you probably would have gone onto another phone anyway.
6: You know that eventually I would have gone under another phone. Normally, it would be a trip here that would cause me to go under another phone. But this time, you've even figured out a way to spend more money, so we don't need to go into that. <laughs> you didn't even have to
0: get to my house before I got you to buy a new phone.
6: Yes. This time, it'd be hard to blame this on you, but I'm going to work on figuring that out. LA. All right. Well, uh, thanks for the story. That, that's
0: actually a pretty cool success story, that with, those, with yes. four Apple gadgets between them, Losing one, you limped your way to your sister's house.
6: Yeah, yes, I did. And uh, and I was quite proud of myself to figure out the watch because, yeah, you, know, you get the watch, you look at all the cool functions, and after a while, you just go back to the way you were doing everything. And the watch fills in a, a void, but I forgot how powerful it is and what you can do with it if you have a cell plan with it. Yeah. I,
0: I think the part I wouldn't have been able to do is remembering the, the address long enough to dictate it in. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Okay, well. Yeah. Like a decade older than you. You'll be here soon. Yeah, you are a whole, what, 11 months older or something than me. So, yeah. Mm.
0: All right. Thanks, Gene. That's a great story.
6: Okay, bye, Allison. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that
0: conversation. Oh, and I should mention one more thing. On the Otter.ai AI transcription, you're either going to get that or you're going to get nothing. Again, people listening, you probably don't care, but if you are somebody who normally likes to read, I want you to know that you're only going to get that or nothing. I'm not going to spend the time, like I said, to go ahead and do uh, a lot of editing to it or create a script other than that. But anyway, I thought Dean's story was pretty good. And uh, his phone did finally come back to a vacation in Tennessee that it took after it went to Texas. And uh, now it is uh, Dean's lovely wife, Suzanne's new phone. So everybody wins. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, suggestions. You can do that by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with PodFeed.com. You want to become a patron like Troy Shimkus did? PodFeed.com slash Patreon. Want to give a one-time donation like the 30-cent pension increase that Sandy got? Do that at PodFeed.com slash PayPal. Want to join the conversation? Join our Slack group over at PodFeed.com slash Slack or our Facebook group at PodFeed.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfee.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.